This is Austin Michaels. I am on episode 7. Um, excuse me, season 7, episode 6. And Matthew chapter 5, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, verses 1 through 12. However, I'm only doing about the first half of this passage, so verses 1 through uh, 5 or 4. And personally, this is so far one of my favorite passages in my commentary on Matthew. It's quite uh, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most significant sermons Jesus preached. It is one of his most famous sermons. And so I hope to do this justice and do my best to come on this. Um, I will read verses 1 through 12, but I will only comment tonight on verses uh, 1 through uh, 6. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is the reward in heaven. So persecute they the prophets which were, which were before you. So Jesus goes onto a mountain and sits down. And we are told his disciples came to him. And so Jesus used the location of the mountain to teach his disciples. Therefore, it seems as though the Sermon on the Mount, as it is famously called, is not for the unbeliever, but for those who are close followers of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is talking to his disciples on the mountain. That's what Matthew points out. Not necessarily just a crowd in general. So this is uh, many... um, Of Jesus' teachings are calling man to repent of sin and follow him. 
But the Sermon on the Mount is somewhat different. The Sermon on the Mount is for the disciple that has already heeded the gospel. So to be pushed and exhorted for a deeper, more godly walk as the Lord walked. Another way to put it is this. Now that disciples have already repented of sin and followed Jesus, Jesus now Jesus now gives them what a fully committed follower of himself will look like. And in fact, it is the very example that Christ himself lived. Therefore, the teachings are quite hard and exacting for the listener. So the Sermon on the Mount, in my intro, this is an introduction. He is teaching those who are following him closely. These teachings are not necessarily for the beginner, those who need to repent of sin. It's for the close and intimate father and disciple Christ. With that said, let's begin with the first blessing. And a blessing, a blessed, if you're blessed, it... Some say it is a synonym for happy. However, it's not really quite that best definition. It's more of a joy, a happiness that's not necessarily emotional. But it's a, you're blessed, you're, you're deep down joyful, a true joy, a true peace, a true happiness because you follow God. So it's not just a regular human, human um, definition of happiness. It's more of a type of happiness that's real and lasting. And so... Yes, happiness or blessed are the points where happy are they, but that happiness is a real lesson, genuine happiness. Really more like a joy. Um, so, blessed are the poor in spirit. Since the Holy Spirit is not poor, then this must be talking about the disciple spirit. The word poor is... Is from the Greek word tokos, which means someone who is cringing, cring, cringing, or a beggar who is cringing. In other words, a better translation would be blessed are the beggars in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus is not talking about the state of being poor in spirit. But rather, he is talking about those who are cringing because they are repulsed by their sins and begging God for spiritual riches. All people are poor in spirit, but not all people receive God's kingdom. Rather, those who beg God for riches because they are spiritually poor, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven. This begging, therefore, is, not, is based on the fact that we are repulsed by our own sinful nature 
nature and sins. And therefore it is the position of asking for mercy on the basis of God's grace and not our works. And so the begging means everyone is poor in spirit. But, but the actual word actually signifies that the person is, is not, it's not talking about someone who's poor in spirit. It's actually talking about someone who is doing an action of begging. It's actually talking about someone because they are poor in spirit, they're begging God for the riches of spirituality. They are actually cringing, they're repulsed by their sin. So, if it obviously was referring to the poor in spirit, every single person's poor in spirit, it's actually talking about a better translation, therefore, as I said, those who are, are really begging God because of poor. If you actually are going to God because you know you're poor, then yes, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's the idea of a repentant sinner realizing I am poor and needy because I'm full of sin. And Lord, I'm begging you right now. I need spiritual riches. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second one is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The promise to those who mourn is comfort. The word mourn is a straightforward word. It needs no explanation. And the act of comforting is also similarly easy to understand. Um, Jesus uses common terms to describe spiritual natures. Uh, to describe something spiritual. Nevertheless, um, even though these two terms are um, common words, we know that Sermon on the Mount is a spiritual message to his disciples, so that a mourning and comforting has a spiritual connotation to it. Not all people who mourn are comforted, but a disciple of Christ has the promise of a real comfort. The mourning mentioned here has no tie to anything specific. So that whatever we mourn about, whether over sin, death, suffering, or injustice, or whatever else, we will receive comfort, a real comfort that's from above. Since Christ is teaching his disciples what the life of a real disciple looks like, the very life Christ himself lived, which was hard, without much physical comfort, self-denying, and full of enemies, then the mourning and comforting, I believe, is referring to those who enter into the hardship of the life of the true disciple of Jesus, so that the mourning might be real and heavy but the promise of comfort is also real and genuine. So those who are really mourning because they're following Christ will really have true comfort. Next, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The promise for the meek is in relationship to the earth. While the promise of the poor is in relationship to heaven. While the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven, 
the meek inherit the earth. Meek means mild, which implies humility. What is interesting about the scriptures is that while the New Testament believers are often promised eternal life, and um, excuse me for that wording, that's a bad wording. Uh, Let me rephrase that. New Testament believers are always promised eternal life. And their very life of following Christ means persecution, being lied about, and getting their physical possessions taken away. Um, I meant often a, a true disciple will often be persecuted. You will be persecuted. You many times will be lied about. And many times you will get your physical possessions taken away. Um, you will always be promised eternal life. Um, and, um, but, nevertheless, there are promises of health, wealth, and a righteous inheriting the land. The meek inheriting the land. Many which are found in the Old Testament. And just because the New Testament uh, makes a clear promise that the righteous will be persecuted. And many times the righteous and meek will have their possessions taken away. And while many promises also seem the opposite, that we will, you know, the Old Testament, that righteous will inherit the earth. Um, the wicked will be destroyed from the land. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise if you follow Christ. I mean, that if you follow God. That's found in the Old Testament. These promises are not in opposition to each other. Many times Christians receive both, not at the same exact time. You cannot receive physical possessions and be taken away at same that time per se um, and many times like Job you might have riches and may be taken away because you're righteous and you may be giving it back or at times Christianity in some time frames lose everything in other time generations they gain a lot so what's interesting is throughout church history though the Roman Empire Empire and evil men persecuted the Christians, trying to destroy Christianity. They slaughtered Christians. It was the Christians who ended up running an empire under Constantine. And the wicked were destroyed from the land. Um, through, though the Roman Empire was full of idolatry, Christianity almost wiped all idolatry out of the land along with the wicked. So what's interesting is the promise was literally true. The, the, the Christians, though few in number to begin with, were righteous, right? Christ and 12 apostles and a couple, maybe a couple thousand, a couple hundred in the upper room, a couple thousand in Israel who maybe believed the Messiah before he died, um, were the only ones against the entire Roman Empire, a wicked, evil paganism everywhere. It, if you read history accounts, Josephus, it was a cruel Roman world. However, over the next two to three hundred years, Christianity spread. 
it grew. They told idolaters repent of your sins. They told the wicked repent of the lifestyles. And by the end of four to five hundred years, three hundred to four hundred, five hundred years of Christianity, you know what happened? Christians inherited the Roman Empire. The wicked were uh, hiding the temples and all the idolatry. Go to the Europe today. It's all basically gone or it's in history locations where you can see old historical sites. It did seem like Christians did actually literally inherit the land where the wicked were destroyed. The meek inherited the earth. I find that was actually true historically. Think about Protestantism, Protestants. The Roman Empire was, the Roman religious empire was rich, full of um, uh, evil. I mean, it, Christianity only temporarily destroyed the Roman Empire physically. Eventually, the religious deception of the devil made it so that by the 1500s and probably before that, the, the Roman religious rulers who were just like the uh, ancient evil rulers, just a religious tone to them, were evil and corrupt. Right? They persecuted those who wanted the Protestants who wanted to get the Bible in their own language. Uh, they wanted to be righteous. They wanted to have freedoms. Right? I want basic freedom. I want to raise my family. I want to teach them scriptures. And the Roman Catholics killed and slaughtered many Protestants. Even the twelve in the 1200s, the world the Waldeans, Peter Waldo, um, John Wycliffe. I mean, this is this are hundreds, two to three hundred years before Martin Luther. Martin Luther, John Calvin, many, many Protestants can't be named. John Bunyan persecuted him, right? Guess who inherited America? The biggest piece of land um, that was never really cultivated or inherited. Who inherited one of the biggest pieces of land? The the true followers of Christ the Protestants not the wicked Roman Catholics interesting how God does many times literally give the promise of inheriting the earth another example I, I will give and then move on is COVID I always uh, try speaking of political issues like any other issue I tell the facts about it the COVID vaccine was a bioweapon. It killed many people. Not every single vaccine was as bad as some. They diluted it to only 4 to 5% was super bad. So that, you know, not every vaccine killed everyone at, at the same time because that would be too obvious. But who were the ones that died? And who were the ones that resisted the vaccine? Well, usually not every single person was a Christian that resisted it. And not every Christian didn't take it. Some Christians did take it. But those who follow the Bible and and believe God's word and try to open their churches and didn't want to shut down, many of the conservatives who didn't believe the lies of the media, 
and who were trying to live righteous lives and those who we saw through the lies of this co-vaccine, we refused to take it. Guess who ended up dying? Most of the people who took the vaccines were those who received, that's 60% of Americans at first, but then they realized pretty quickly this ain't helping. The liberals and the left side and those who gave in and wouldn't resist that evil. Guess who are dying? And by the way, vaccines are messing with people being able to have children. Many people who took the vaccine, and the, and the studies show, Pfizer has studies they tried hiding, and the court, the lawyers, uh, the judge made them finally um, show the side effects. Nine out of ten women who took vaccines now having third trimester stillborns. And many people now having third trimester stillborns. They don't know why. And many of them are realizing it's because I took the vaccine. And and it stopped production. It was it's purposely trying to destroy people from Earth. So it's stopping reproduction from happening. So who are being destroyed? Those who are taking vaccines? The liberals? The wicked? Those who abort babies are the ones taking vaccines. They always obey the government. They don't care to abort babies. They will, and they don't resist the government, mostly. Um, they follow the government. They get government aid. And so the ones who, who kill babies don't deserve to have more babies. They haven't paid of it. And, and they're the ones that usually are taking the vaccines. So guess who are able to have kids now? And who's going to inherit the land? Because your inheritance, you'll die off that inheritance. And who's dying off? The wicked are dying. The righteous are receiving America's land. Because we're going to keep having kids. We're not going to take a vaccine. So it was God's way of judging the wicked and the righteous because they refused it. We're safe. So it seems like God is again, 500 years later, allowing the wicked to die. From deception and righteous to live so that we will actually inherit the land physically if this offends you I hope it wakes you up so you save your life I don't know why you're offended by me telling you don't take a poisonous vaccine you should be thanking me all right next promise and this is the last one I have for tonight Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. When we have a real desire to be righteous as a hungry man, and a thirsty man desires food and water, the promise is that we will be satisfied and filled. So just like a hungry and thirst a hungry man is satisfied when he eats and a thirsty man is satisfied when he drinks so a, a we who desire to be, and hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied with those desires we uh, basically are promised that we will get righteousness the righteousness that we so crave for personally this is a personal testimony when I have sought to be good and avoid sin and when I have so intensely cried to God, and literally I have wept, 
God gave me all my desire and filled me with all the necessary knowledge and understanding to satisfy my longing soul. I testify, this is my personal testimony, that this has been true experientially of me. I remember the day of being so full of joy and happiness because for probably 10 or more years, I was intensely seeking of how to become spiritual and felt and experienced God leading me to the answers I so longed for. The righteous indeed shall be satisfied. And to summarize this, I mean is I remember crying day and night in my room, in my closet. I literally wept and cried and asked God, I want to be righteous. I hate my sinful life. I want to somehow get this righteousness. And 10 years later, of 10 years, God didn't answer me. He didn't wait 10 years to answer me, but the most of my answers came 10 years later. And He gave me all the answers I so longed for. I finally said, God, you finally heard my cry and my plea. And I was so full of joy and full of answers. And I finally said, I got what I was asking for. I asked for righteousness. I asked why I was, why I was, I was so sinful. How can I avoid sinful lifestyle? How do I become spiritual? And God answered all my questions. He filled my soul and satisfied my soul. And so this is the um, Sermon on Mount. It's only, this is a portion of Sermon on Mount. It's only half of the Blessed Are uh, portion of scriptures. So thank you for listening. And I pray not only will you understand what I'm saying, but you will experience all that God wants to experience. A true Christian. God puts in your heart not only to really know what Scripture is saying, but that you would actually, and you will, if you keep following God by faith, will actually experience everything you desire to experience. That spiritual life you long for, that you see some Christians have and experience, will be yours. So don't give up. Understand God is a promise. God can't lie. He will give you that. If you keep sinking Him. And if you keep thirsting for righteousness. All the promises you read are yours. And will be 100% true. So thank you for listening. May God bless you and lead you into the experience of the scriptures. Amen.